Welcome to our Strength in Business podcast, and welcome back to our amazing interview series. My name is Chris Rock, and I'd like to start with a shout-out to our listeners and subscribers from all around the world. Thank you very much for your awesome support. I value and appreciate you very much. If you want to connect, post questions, or simply share your biggest marketing challenges, feel free to join us on Facebook at Strength in Business or Twitter at Chris Rock. Today's topic, so all entrepreneurs and future entrepreneurs, startups and small business owners out there, listen carefully. Today's topic is capital raising. We are going to discuss the following, how to raise capital, where to find investors, what are investors really looking for, and what documents do you need to prepare when you're going to raise money from a bank or any other financial institutions, along with venture capitalists and angel investors. But before we dig into this subject, I'd like to introduce my amazing guest today. Jared Rubin from Sydney in Australia is a founding partner of K2 Capital Group, a boutique corporate advisory and investment company. K2 Capital Group specializes in assisting small to medium enterprises with capital raisings, mergers and acquisitions, and exit strategies. Jared's role as a sales trader in institutional equities at Macquarie Bank and the Commonwealth Bank of Australia saw him involved in billions of dollars worth of transactions. This included advising and executing with major mutual, pension, superannuation, and hedge funds around the globe. Using the knowledge learned from his banking experience, Jared has been a successful investor, investing in publicly listed companies around the world and private companies within Australia. Jared currently sits on the advisory board of a number of Australian-based businesses and was recently named as one of Antio's 30 Under 30 for 2013. Welcome, Jared. How are you? Thank you very much. It was a fantastic introduction. I am excellent, thank you. How are you today? Great. It's great to have you on the call. I'm really looking forward to this interview. It's Jared, tell great me. to be here. <laughs> great. Jared, tell me, you're a corporate advisor, investor, and a very young and highly successful entrepreneur. I mean, you made the Anthill's top 30 list. Tell me, how did you get started, and where are you today? Right. So it's, it's quite an interesting story. I... Uh, my journey into finance actually started through IT. Um, I was one of those people who, during the, the tech boom in the early 2000s, thought I was going to be the next Bill Gates, so to speak, and uh, went to university. Uh, first, uh, it was very early on, I think it was week one or week two, I, I sat in with a couple of the lectures and decided it wasn't really for me. Um, however, I was on a, a scholarship program at university, so uh, continued on with it because uni was being paid for. And um, as part of the scholarship program, the first work placement I had was actually at uh, a bank called Macquarie Bank, and it's the biggest investment bank in Australia. And uh, I was actually involved in building the trading systems for the, the traders at Macquarie. And sitting on the trading floor, seeing what was happening, the deals that were taking place, I decided that 
IT wasn't for me. I wanted to be more involved in the deals. And that's when I decided to move from the IT side to move into the finance side and actually landed up doing a double degree at university. And since then, I worked at Macquarie Bank for around six years, then moved to another bank in Australia, the Commonwealth Bank, and decided that there was a lot more to, I guess, my career than just the banking world. Um, I saw the way that the large corporates do things on a day-by-day basis. And unfortunately, the small to medium enterprise don't do it. Um, And I know a lot of your listeners are small to medium-sized business owners. and, and, And what I've seen is they don't have the knowledge or the support to do what the big guys are doing. So most of the time, they're playing at a big disadvantage. And that's what I love what you do. You you help businesses and, and get them out of, you know, put them at a competitive advantage to the other players in the market. And that's essentially what we're trying to do. We're trying to help small businesses play the bigger games that is generally only played by the large corporates and the large listed entities. Okay. So what do you think makes you, I mean, you entered the corporate uh, world. Uh, now we have something in common. Both of us were in the corporate <laughs> world and decided to get out and help small businesses. Uh, you yep. do that in the investment area. I do that in the marketing area. Um, why do you think um, you're different for, from other investors out there? And what is it basically that makes you different and unique from others? So when we work with businesses, um, essentially there's, there's three of us. There's myself and, and two other partners. Um, we work with businesses because we really love what we're doing. Um, all three of us come from very different backgrounds. My background is from the banking corporate world. I've raised um, through my banking, as, as you said in the introduction, it's around $14.5 billion for, for companies. One of my partners, Kerwin Ray, um, he's very, very good in the sales and marketing aspect. And another one of my partners, Sean Sewell, is excellent in the legal structuring and, and small business side. So when most, most of the time when you get an investor or a corporate advisor come on board, you get a single person who will have one particular skill set, and that's what they're really good at. With us, you get a whole team of us. And through bringing the combination of our skill sets and you know it's the old saying of two heads is better than one so if you've got three heads it's going to be a lot better than the one and and what we found is through combining our skill sets we've been able to really help businesses with with different perspectives and taking them from where they are right now to to where they are looking to go Um, the, the other big difference with with us is through our all of us have got other business interests. So this investing and in, in what we do from the corporate advisory side is more to because this is what we love to do. We want to help businesses, as, as you're doing, succeed. So it's, it's not something that we have to do on a day-to-day basis. So we can be very selective in who we work with and, and it allows us to really ensure we're only working with people that we know are going to what we're looking to do and, and we want to work with and help succeed over the long term. Mm. Yeah, excellent, excellent. 
Now, um, a lot of uh, small business owners struggle with the idea of uh, capital raising, and uh, yeah. most of the time they have no clue how to how to do it, uh, what strategies yeah. to apply uh, to raise money, and therefore I, I'd like to ask you from your experience, what are the top three strategies? to raise capital, first of all, when you're starting out, let's say you're building a business, you're in the startup phase, and what are the best strategies when you're already um, in the growth phase, let's say, after five years? Excellent. So, look, in terms of the, the best strategies to use, it, it really comes down to there's, there's different ways that you can raise equity or, or money from, from either investors or from a bank, as, as you said in the introduction. But the first thing that really is important before you decide on the source of how you're going to raise the money is your team. You need to make sure you have your team in place, and we, we call it the A-team, to take the idea from where it is to make it a commercial success. As we always say, it's not necessarily the best mousetrap that's going to take take things in and be the most successful product. It's the team behind it. If you look at an example of YouTube, YouTube were actually the second company that came in and, and did what the video sharing that they actually do. There was a company called Vimeo, which did it before them. Yep. But it was the team behind YouTube that got them to where it is. So before you look at strategy and, and how you're going to do it, the first thing you need to do is make sure you have the right team in place. Then it comes down to when you're looking to raise capital, and I know, as you said, this is the main question we get from people because it, it is a scary subject looking to raise capital and potentially giving away some of your business. So what, what is the best way to do it? In terms of the startups, I would be looking at what we call the triple F fund. And, and it's no disrespect for anyone out there, but the triple F fund stands for friends, family, and fools. And what that means is you can go to someone within your network and they will typically give you some money because it's, it's love money. You, you, you don't necessarily have the idea built yet or you don't have the framework around you to go to a, a proper investor but if you can find someone in your network who's got money, that is a great strategy as step one. And they'll typically want some equity, so some percentage of your company, in order to give you that money. The second strategy is to go to a bank. And banks, they will typically not lend you a lot of money if you tell them you've got a business. But one of the best strategies that I have seen when it comes to raising money for a startup is to either say it's a loan for a car or some other asset or get a credit card loan and use that to actually raise the, the money that you require. Because while, while the banks, the interest rate will be expensive, the benefit of it is they're not actually taking any of the percentage of your company. So you still maintain 100% of your company. And the third way that I would look for a complete startup is a very new way of doing things, and that's called crowdfunding. And what crowdfunding allows you to do is you can go on the internet and either sell a, a, a product or a service, and you can sell it in little pieces to raise money. The benefit of doing so is it not only gets you money, it also allows you to test the service that 
people are, are looking to, to, to buy. So you can make sure that, that when you, you're actually going to go live to market, there's some pre-sales that have taken place. So there's one of the most famous sites is a site called Kickstarter. And I'm not sure if, um, if it's applicable in, in Europe, but I know in, in definitely in North America, Kickstarter is a big one. In Australia, we use a site sites called Indiegogo is another one. Um, so, so crowdfunding is definitely something that's starting to become a much bigger source of, of funding for startups. Mm. So, so that's the startup, the startup phase. In Europe, uh, crowdfunding is uh, starting to be um, also a very good opportunity. I know in Germany uh, we have yeah. um, a few ideas um, and a few things uh, coming up uh, in, in terms of crowdfunding. Same for the Eastern European market, who are getting stronger and stronger um, regarding this topic. Yeah, and, and it's great because it is such a fantastic opportunity to, to, to test the market while getting funding at the same time. You know, in, in the past, it was hard to do pre-sales, where it just allows you to do pre-sales on a product and, and show that there is a market for it and then have the available cash to, to, do, to launch your product or service. Um, mm. so, so that's one that, that we really like when it comes to, to starting out. Um, and, and I'm not sure what the, the laws are in Germany, but in, if you do have any listeners in the U.S., Obama has recently passed a law whereby you can actually sell equity in your company through crowd through crowdfunding as well. So that's going to change the whole dynamics in, in the USA. I guess we're going to copy a few good things from the U.S., um, <laughs> and I hope there's a lot of things that the U.S. can copy from Europe as well. Exactly. <laughs> that's, uh, that's what it's all about, taking the best from everywhere. Absolutely. Just taking 100% from one and leaving the European culture, for example, completely out because uh, that, that's the wrong thing to do. <laughs> exactly. And uh, I think the second part to your question was, how do you raise money if you're already a growing business? Exactly. So in terms of a growing business, you would... You've already got some, you know, you've got some runs on the board. You've got a proven track record. Your team is probably in place, so so you're at a much further level than the startup is. The one of the forms of financing that you can do is to raise equity, and that is that you sell shares in your company, you sell a percentage of the company to investors. And, and when we're looking for investors, there's two types of investors that we really like to look for. One is what we call smart money. And these are typically in the form of angel investors or venture capital. And, and these are investors who have typically made a successful business venture and made a lot of money in the industry that you're looking to go into. And they've got the smarts within the industry. So not only do they give you money, they can also come in and, and help you through, with mentoring. They can help build the business, give you the strategy advice you need. So, so the way we look at it is it's essentially getting paid to have a mentor come in, which is, is the best form of funding. The second thing you can look for is not only smart money, but also smart connected money. So if you can get an angel investor or venture capitalist to come in who have got connections and they can open doors for you, so they might be able to open doors to find you clients or, or supply agreements that really help you build your business, 
and take it to that next level. So even though you're giving away a percentage of your company, you can often find smart people and smart connected investors that add much more value than what you're actually giving away. So, you know, a, a great example is if you're an IT company and you got a Bill Gates on your board as an investor, think what that would do to the value of your company. And those are the type of people you're looking to get, someone who's been there, done it, and, and can really add a huge amount of value to you. That's the first type. The second type is debt funding. And, and debt funding can come from an investor, but this will typically come from the bank. And in the first instance, when you're a startup, it's hard to get money from a bank or your business because you don't have any trading history. But now when you're growing business, the banks will give you typically give you money to continue to grow your business, but you are paying, you have to pay interest for that money. The other thing that banks will take is they will take security over assets in your business. So if you can't pay them back, they will actually, they can take assets out of your business and sell them to recoup what they, the, the loan that they've given you. So the, the pros and cons, there's always pros and cons in different funding. Um, one of the pros of debt is you don't give away any of your equity, but the cons, you are paying interest and you have to pay them back because they will take security from you. And the third, the third type of funding that you can, you can look for in, in once you're a growing business is what's called a hybrid. And, and these are, you can really use combinations of different types of equity and debt in order to allow you to really grow your business and take it to the next level. So there's something called a convertible note or a convertible bond. And a convertible note or bond is where it starts as a debt instrument. So you're paying back interest and the, the, the debt holder will get interest and they'll have security over it. But after a certain period of time or when something happens, it will transfer into equity. So what that means is for you as the business owner, you can pay back the debt before it goes into equity and you don't lose any percentage of your company. These are obviously getting more complicated structures and you know, with any of this, I'm, you must make sure that you get the financial and legal advice that you need before you go down the capital raising path because there's a misconception that it's easy to get money and... While there is a lot of money out there, it's not an easy thing to do. You need to make sure that you have got it structured correctly, you've got all the legals in place, and, and your asset protection and allocation is done appropriately. Um, the last one I'll, I will talk about quickly is either franchising or licensing. And, um, and what you can actually do is, obviously, if you're a growing business, you can look to either license your product and take a fee for doing so, or franchise your product or service and take a franchising fee. And that's another way you can raise capital. But again, it becomes, these are much more, the hybrid and franchising licensing are a lot more complicated ways of doing so. Uh, what I like is the whole range of uh, strategies of ways you just mentioned to raise capital. Looking for ways to raise money is very, very important. But uh, where should entrepreneurs look for investors? I mean, going to a bank is easy. Uh, as soon as you have your documents in place, as you said, your legals in place, your business planning pays. Uh, what about um, 
venture capitalists or angel investors? Where should entrepreneurs look for them? Yes. Yeah, so, look, the first place I would start when looking to raise money is within your own network. So, do you know any high net worth individuals or, or people that have been successful that you can call upon and, and go and speak to? Because it, it's, it's the old saying of the six degrees of separation. Who do you know that might know someone who can get you that warm introduction rather than going the cold introduction through the, through the mainstream that everyone's trying to get into? So, so I would definitely be looking within the own network. And, and as I said, the, the friends, family, fund, you can often find some money there. In terms of finding uh, as, uh, professional investors, the venture capitalists, the private equity, angel investors, the, the great two of the best tools that we use, number one is Google. Google is so powerful to, uh, you know, you can obviously these days find anyone if you just search venture capitalists in Germany, venture capitalists in the USA, Australia, wherever you are located in the world, will come up with a whole list of them. Then what you do is you use LinkedIn. And if you are serious about finding people, subscribe to a premium version of LinkedIn because that allows you to message anyone. And, and when you've got that premium version, you can just search for the company you're looking for, find what will be either the... It'll be an investment officer. So if you can find the chief investment officer, that's great. Otherwise, look for an investment analyst and send them a, a message and just give them a quick update. You don't want to give them too much information on it, what the idea is, a little bit of a teaser to whet their appetite and get them interested to, to discuss it further. Um, but the great thing with the advent of the Internet is Anyone is so accessible these days. It's just a matter of persisting. So you, you've just got to keep trying. But, you know, there's a lot of investor networks out there that people can reach out to. And by doing so, the investor network gives you that warm lead introduction to these professional investors. These are great tips. So for everybody, one more time, it's Google. And uh, the second one is to sign up for a premium LinkedIn account to be able to LinkedIn. message people and uh, thus um, find the appropriate company or appropriate uh, venture capitalist. Now, uh, sure. you mentioned before how important legal documents are if you're going to a bank or if you're going to investors. What other documents do you need to prepare when you're going to raise money? Because uh, one of the biggest uh, uh, documents that need to be prepared is a business plan um, due to the fact that I'm into marketing plans. Um, this is a big one for, for uh, small businesses as well because uh, they don't have the resources. Oftentimes uh, they do not want to invest the time into a business plan because they don't see the value of it. Tell me, how important is a business plan if you want to raise uh, money and yeah, what other documents are needed? Sure. So every country will have their own legal requirements. So you must make sure that before you go down the capital raising process, you do speak to a solicitor or someone in the legal space that has actually raised capital before because they can tell you the exact legal requirements. In terms of what we have in Australia, we have something called an information memorandum. 
And an information memorandum is similar to a business plan, but the business plan is typically kept internally, whereas an information memorandum is something that you can actually send out to investors. So it has some legal disclaimers on it. It will have certain things that you can and can't include in it. And this is why the legals are so important, because in Australia anyway, if you try and raise capital and you've done it the wrong way, the, the, one of the penalties for doing so is actually going to jail. Um, so, so just wherever you are in the world, make sure you, you find an appropriate legal advisor. And these, these documents, it's, it's almost the information memorandum, and I, sh I know in the USA it's quite similar. It's, it's almost like a business plan, but a business plan can combined with a sales copy because if you think about an investor, they're getting hundreds and hundreds of business plans and information memorandums across their desk every single day. You need yours to stand out. So it is a sales copy and that's one thing that a lot of people get wrong when they, when they do that information memorandum. It's a little bit different to the business plan. The business plan is important to give you that structure and know exactly where you're going, but the information memorandum or whatever it's called in your particular country is really the sales document from your business plan. And, and I know, Chris, you're 100% right. We, we get the exact same thing from business owners saying, I just don't have the time to do a business plan. It's too difficult, this, this, that, and the other. But if you don't know where you're going and you don't have the structure of how you're going to get there, you, you can't expect people to give you money. You have to really show them that you have got the capability and know where you're going in order to do so. And, and that's one of the great things about a business plan is that it puts it in black and white as, as to what you're going to do and, and how you're going to get there. Excellent. Thank you for sharing. Hey, this is just a station identification. My name is Chris Rock, your strength and business host, and my amazing guest today is Jared Rubin from Sydney in Australia. Jared is a founding partner of K2 Capital Group, a boutique corporate advisory and investment company. K2 Capital Group specializes in assisting small to medium enterprises with capital raisings, mergers and acquisitions, and exit strategies. Jared's role as a sales trader in institutional equities at Macquarie Bank and the Commonwealth Bank of Australia saw him involved in billions of dollars worth of transactions. This included advising and executing with major mutual, pension, superannuation, and hedge funds around the globe. Using the knowledge learned from his banking experience, Jared has been a successful investor investing in publicly listed companies around the world and private companies within Australia. Jared currently sits on the advisory board of a number of Australian-based businesses and was recently named as one of Antil's 30 Under 30 for 2013. To find out more about Jared and the K2 Capital Group, I invite you to visit www.k2, the number two, so k2capital.com, .au, AU stands for Australia. I will include the, the web address in the description of this podcast, and I'll also put it on my webpage at strengthinbusiness.com under the tab interviews so that you can come back to it anytime. So make sure you visit k2capital.com.au, drop Jared an email, 
or simply register for one of the company's events and learn how to prepare your business for capital raising to get maximum funding and, more importantly, your choice of the perfect investor. Jared, tell me, you're running these events. Um, tell me more about the seminars, and uh, because uh, our listeners are from all around the world, a lot of them from the U.S., uh, others from Asia, and, of course, Europe. Do you have a home study course? Um, yeah, just tell us a bit about the programs that um, you and your partners from K2 Capital Group offer. Yeah, so we, as you say, we have been running a, a number of three-day courses on what we call capital raisings, acquisitions, and exits, and, and it's really about first how to raise capital. What what documents do you need? What are the some of the legal requirements? And and we actually in the room put together a, a sample document that you can then take out and send to investors. Then it's about actually pitching to investors. So step one is you send it to the investor. They say, great, I like this opportunity. I want to meet with you in person. Where most people fail is when it comes to the actual pitch. What are investors looking for? How do you pitch to them? And, and that's the next component of capital raising that we really go through. And we get you to structure your pitch within the room so, so that you have got something that, again, you can take out. And then it's about acquisitions. How do you actually acquire businesses to add maximum value? Because there's an old saying, if you've got a million-dollar business, the quickest way to make it a $2 million business is to buy another million-dollar business and plug them together. So, so we teach you how to do that. And one of my business partners, Sean, has actually bought 11 businesses with no money of his own. So he's got investors in to do that. And he shows you how he's structured the number of those deals. And finally, we go through the exit. How do you exit for maximum money? Because the bottom line is that the money is not made through your salary or through yearly profits. Your money is made on the exit. When you look at all the big deals that take place, the, the Instagram selling to Facebook, recently Tumblr selling to Yahoo, that's where the money's made when you actually sell the equity. So like you, Chris, uh, we've actually had people all over the world coming to our events, and, and we've had people saying it's, it's, it's too hard to come to Australia. So we've actually taken our last event, which we did uh, about three, four weeks ago. We had a professional video crew come in, and we have now videoed that, and we are currently turning that into a home study kit. So that home study kit will be ready to go by the end of October, so in about five or six weeks, that, that'll be ready to go. And we're going to have both an online version and a DVD set. So depending on how people like to view it, they'll have both those options. And, and that ensures that anywhere, no matter where, anyone, no matter where they are in the world, can view that DVD and, and, and online study here. That's awesome. So everybody stay tuned for the home study course on capital raisings, acquisitions, and exit. As soon as you have it out, um, I will put the link on my webpage um, uh, as well so that um, everybody can come back to it and have a look at it. And if they like it, of course, um, buy it and uh, learn a lot about capital raisings, how to pitch, because these are essentials if you want um, to grow your business, if you need capital for that. 
I think there's there's a lot of people coming up with uh, with the di different questions, and uh, you have a lot of questions in the seminar as well. <laughs> but um, from your experience, what are the biggest mistakes people make when they decide to raise capital? There's no doubt that the number one mistake people make when they go out to raise capital is they don't have the correct team in place to execute on the idea. So they they you know they've got a great idea but they're a one person show they don't have people around them that they've proven to investors that they can take it from an idea or a concept to actually commercialization and making money it's really all about the team the second biggest mistake we see is people just focus on the returns they come to us and they say we've got the best idea since facebook we're going to make a huge amount of money out of it but it's not only about the returns, it's also about the risks. You have to be really upfront about the risks that are in place because when investors give you money, they want to know when they're going to get their money back. So it's not just the huge returns, but also the risks and how you're going to minimize that risks. And then the other thing is just having unrealistic valuations and not being prepared for it. So people will come through thinking that their business or idea is worth a million dollars when they haven't made any sales or, or don't have any proof of concept. So you really need to speak to some people who have been there, done that, raised capital before and can put a realistic valuation on it because that's one of the biggest mistakes people make is that they just think that their business is worth $1 million, $10 million or the other thing that they'll do is they'll say, I want my business to be worth $10 million in three years and try and engineer things backwards to get a valuation today based on that. So people need to be realistic with what they're looking to do. With that in mind, realistic, because I like <laughs> that one. I mean, you left the banking world. You left the so-called safe, secure job, <laughs> uh, same as <laughs> I did, um, and became a highly successful entrepreneur. Now tell me, what are the key skills attitudes and habits you say are a must when you start your own business most definitely the one of the biggest things when it comes to starting your own business is mindset and Tony Robbins says it so well it's it's 80% psychology 20% strategy and I think a lot of people come out thinking it's just about the skill set and how they're going to build their business but as you know, Chris, business is not an easy game. You have to have your psychology right and your mindset right in order to cope with what happens on a daily basis. So one thing is really to have your psychology and to, to never stop wanting to learn, to always be learning. So definitely continue to do that. That's a key attitude is always looking to learn. Keep an open mind and make sure you have people around you that can help you. The other thing is when you're looking to start out, you must begin with the end in mind. A lot of people start a business because, you know, you're a good cook, you start a restaurant. You're a good mechanic, so you start your own mechanic shop. But most people don't think about what the end game is. What are they looking to achieve from their business ultimately? So whenever we're working with people and when the three of us, when Kerwin, Sean and I began K2 Capital Group, we actually have a 30-year plan in place as to where we're looking to go in 30 years. So 
it's really about beginning with that end in mind because you need to know where you're going in order to get there. Have that vision and, and keep that vision in place. Um, another thing, and, and, and uh, I guess I'm quite lucky because I come from that banking financial background, is you have to know your numbers. Financials, I know a lot of people find financials scary, but if you don't know your numbers, you don't know where you are. And, and your numbers are really... Uh, a benchmark and a litmus test as to how your business is tracking, what's wrong, what's not wrong, and where you need to go. And finally, the other thing is that business is really a team sport. And a lot of people want to do business on their own, and while it is possible, it's not that easy. Everyone has their strengths, has their weaknesses. If you can find a team, a business team around you that can really complement and help you with what you're looking to do and where you're looking to go, that really, really fundamentally shifts everything because it allows you to get to where you want to go a lot quicker. And it's like if you look at any of the big successful businesses, they've got a really big, strong team around them. So that's another really big shift that a lot of entrepreneurs I know find hard because a lot of people want to become entrepreneurs to work on their own. But if you can build a team around you, that, that will definitely help you succeed a lot quicker. Now, you mentioned quite a few things that you need if you want to start your own business. It's not just the idea, um, and that is good, to, good news. <laughs> but um, <laughs> if you were to pick one thing, one, let's say, profit-generating tip for a business novice, when, when he starts out, what would that be? So one tip, and this would be something that you, you, you need to be educated on, but you don't need to start a business from scratch. The riskiest time when you're starting a business is the first one to five years because if, if you look at all statistics anywhere in the world, the first five years you have your highest percentage of companies failing. So what you can actually look to do is to buy an existing business or not necessarily even a business, buy an existing database of customers which gives you a head start. And straight away that can be very, very profit generating. So what you do is you can raise capital and actually buy a business that's already running instead of starting that business. And again, it's not something that I would take lightly but it's something that if you have the correct education can definitely be done and definitely fast-track you in, in your success ultimately. Excellent. Thank you very much. Now, Jared, leaders are readers, and we know that uh, since Jim Rohn, <laughs> um, you mentioned Anthony Robbins with the 80-20 rule. What's your favorite book and um, Why? It probably won't come as a surprise to you, but um, it's it's one of the it's, it's an old school book, but to me definitely one of the greatest reads, and that's uh, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Yes. And uh, I, I don't know how many of your listeners are familiar with it, but Napoleon Hill basically in in the early 1900s studied and interviewed the most successful people at the time, and got. 13 principles, 13 characteristics that you need in order to be successful. 
And, and a lot of it comes down to the psychology aspect that I was talking about earlier. And if you follow these 13 principles, whether it be in business or any other aspect in your life, you are going to be successful. And it, it's, it's really the, the one thing I love to do, and, and, and I think any, anyone should be, and all your listeners should be doing this too, is if you are looking to be successful in a certain area, model someone that's already done that. Find their character traits. Find what they did and, and take those on and do that. And, and that's essentially what Napoleon Hill did. He found the most successful people at the time and condensed these successful traits into 13 key principles. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if, uh, if you have read it, Chris, but, but if not, it is a must-read for, for anyone who is looking to be successful in, in any area of life, to be honest, not, not just business. I've read it four times so far. Because <laughs> I, I remember one thing. I, I remember what Jim Ron said. He said, um, if you want to, to know and if you want to really read the book and understand, basically understand the book, uh, you will have to read it 1,000 times. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, You've got um, 990 yeah, I'm at number four. <laughs> There's still a few few more times to read it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Just just a couple more times. <laughs> <laughs> just a couple more times. <laughs> Jared, one last question. If people want to find out more about you, I mean, you shared so much value, so many valuable tips. If people want to find out more about you and connect with you, where should they go? So, as you said, the, our website for K2 Capital is www.k2capital.com.au. Um, otherwise, you can find me on LinkedIn or, or, or on Facebook at Jared, so Jared Rubin, J-A-R-R-E-D, Rubin, R-U-B-I-N. And also Twitter, I've got the handle at Jared Rubin. So that's J-A-R-R-E-D-R-U-B-I-N. And I'm often updating on things that investors are looking for, some market movements, some money, things like that. So if, if your listeners are looking to subscribe around capital and money, they should definitely subscribe to that, to that Twitter handle. Excellent. Once again, this is Chris Rock from Strength in Business talking to Jared Rubin from Australia. Thanks for being my guest today, Jared. Thank you very much. It was uh, always it's great fun to speak to you, as always. And um, ho hopefully your listeners got some value out of that. Absolutely. I'm sure, I'm sure they will. Thanks a lot for sharing your valuable capital-raising insights and tips with us. I appreciate it very much. Hey, everybody. Chris Rock here from Strength in Business. We have a great guest on today's show, Jared Rubin, corporate advisor, investor, and founding partner of K2 Capital Group, a boutique corporate advisory and investment company. Find out more about Jared and the K2 Capital Group by visiting www.k2capital.com.au. Thanks for listening to our Strength in Business podcast. Hope to hear from you soon. Let's connect on Twitter at Chris Rock or Facebook at Strength in Business. Happy marketing, and remember to always play to your strengths.